Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the European Young Chemist Network podcast. In today's episode, we are going to talk about the carbon turnover in the deep biosphere, why it is relevant, how it takes place and how it influences the life on the surface. For this, we have invited Professor Alexander Probst, Associate Professor for Aquatic Microbial Ecology at the University of Duisburg, Essen. Professor Probst received his PhD at the Archaea Center at the University of Regensburg, Germany. Prior, throughout and after graduate school, Professor Probst worked as a bioinformatics scientist at Second Genome Inc., where he contributed to more than a hundred different microbiome studies. After doing a postdoc in Jill Banfield's lab at UC Berkeley, he was appointed as professor at the University of Duisburg Essen. Now, Professor Probst leads a team of scientists investigating carbon cycling in the deep continental subsurface. He has authored more than 80 peer-reviewed publications, acts as a reviewer for many journals, and is the chair of the Environmental Microbiology Panel of the German Society of Microbiology, where he's also a member of the Scientific Advisory Board. Hello everyone, I'm here today with a professor for aquatic microbial ecology in University Duisburg-Essen, Professor Dr. Alexander Probst. Alex, welcome. Hi Katarina. We decided to talk about uh, carbon turnover in the deep biosphere. A little of a bit of background stories worth saying here. And what is a carbon turnover and uh, where does it come from? How does it take place? Thanks. That's that's a really great question. So carbon turnover is is a it's a rather colloquial uh, phrasing that I often use. It's uh, more or less also carbon cycling. It is uh, the transformation of inorganic carbon to different sorts of organic carbon and vice versa. So um, and that process is usually mediated by different forms of life. It is so an essentially a carbon cycle. Um, going completely from oxidized carbon, that is CO2, to reduced carbon like sugars or even methane. And uh, this carbon turnover, as I said, is mediated by many different forms of life in the subsurface. And these forms of life is what people call the deep biosphere. Deep because it's down there, way meters below our feet. And biosphere because it is consistent of uh, forms of life. Why is the carbon turnover relevant in that deep, deep biosphere. So if you look at the distribution of carbon across our globe and compare Earth's critical zone, meaning the zone that we live in, where plants exist, where we have uh, the top layer of the ocean, where we have rivers and so on, and we, if we compare that critical zone to the subsurface, it's like comparing an elephant to a mouse regarding the carbon that is there. So if you go to the, to the deep um, subsurface, there are about 20 billion tons of carbon. And this is mainly inorganic carbon. And of course, if you compare that to what we have in the critical zone and what is currently affecting our climate, this is a gigantic proportion. And that carbon, of course, when it's turned over, going from inorganic to organic matter, is of course of great relevance regarding the overall carbon cycle on our planet. 
And uh, the majority actually is inorganic carbon and it's actually not uh, fossil fuels because a lot of people think that the deep um, subsurface houses mainly fossil fuels, but they actually only make a really minor proportion of the entire carbon in the deep subsurface. And what this relates to is actually how carbon is stored and transformed. And that actually provides us new perspective, uh, not only on Earth's history, but also helps us to understand industrial processes like carbon capture and storage, where people try to capture carbon dioxide that is, that is produced mainly in industry and then pump it to the deep subsurface and try to store it there so it doesn't interfere with our climate change. So that to happen, we need a sunlight as the main energy source for life on the planet. But from where we have that energy, there is no sunlight. Yeah, sunlight is the main energy source for Earth's critical zone. So it excites electrons for processes like photosynthesis. And that source, of course, doesn't exist for the deep biosphere. However, there are other reduced and oxidized compounds, mainly minerals, that can be used by microorganisms to create redox potential and perform essentially the same mechanism for carbon fixation as plants employ on the surface of our planet. So particular zones where reduced minerals mix with, for instance, oxidized seawater at the mid-ocean ridge create a suitable area for microbial life. The methods for identifying such processes are manifold. So, of course, people initially started to take microorganisms from the environment, cultivate them in the lab and try to see if they are really fixing carbon. Nowadays, people actually measure those things in situ, in actually in the real environment uh, to determine what the carbon turnover is and how microbes actually use oxidized and reduced compounds to uh, create energy for carbon fixation. So in other words, the microbes are eating the minerals? Sort of. They are transforming the minerals. So they're, for instance, for instance oxidizing or reducing minerals. Yes. And that's how they get, uh, that's where they get the energy from. Another great energy source, by the way, for instance, is hydrogen. So hydrogen is released, for instance, as a minor proportion by mantle degassing, so gases that um, come from the mantle. And that minor proportion of hydrogen can fuel a lot of uh, microbial life in the deep biosphere. And those, that hydrogen is then oxidized, of course, and with that energy is produced. And is that process very slow or very fast compared to the carbon turnover that is that happens in the surface? That is a very, very uh, good question that researchers are actually currently investigating. It is generally believed that the, that the deep subsurface is very slow growing, microbes are extremely inactive. But what we do find, and that's something that we have discovered dur during our research, is that there are certain hotspots in the deep biosphere where microbes flourish and they actually reach activities and carbon fixation potential of microbes here in the critical zone. So they won't exceed the biomass turnover of, of plants, of course, on our planet, because, uh, because plants have a huge amount of biomass. However, their activity is as close to microbes 
of the critical zone as possible. And those hotspots in the deep biosphere are mainly those areas where, for instance, mantle degassing occurs, where you have high CO2 partial pressure and uh, where you have hydrogen available as a, a reduced compound that can be oxidized. And that actually then fuels microbial life. <laughs> very, very interesting. And you mentioned that you investigate and which method you used for that. Yeah, um, uh, there are different sorts of methods. So the first question that people always ask when they explore the deep biosphere is, what microbes actually are there. And what we mainly use are methods that people refer to as next generation sequencing, which would be decoding the genetic information of microorganisms like the DNA and the RNA. And with that DNA available, we can build phylogenetic trees. We can build the tree of life and see which type of microbe do we find down there. And the interesting part is that when you go to the deep biosphere, you always find fascinating new microorganisms. And then the next step, once we know which microbe it is, we predict what can those microbes do. And ultimately then also want to know if these microbes are really turning over carbon. One way to do this, for instance, is to um, analyze the isotopic ratios of carbon in, for instance, the biomass or directly in the lipids. And with that, you can determine if carbon fixation had been taken place or if the carbon mainly comes from organic sources in their respective ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So does that the carbon fixation impact life on the surface or not? And how if yes? So carbon fixation per se is of course to a certain degree important because it captures, for instance, CO2 released from the mantle to a certain degree and uh, transforms it to biomass. But there are also many other processes within the carbon cycle in the deep biosphere that play an extremely crucial role for our daily life, actually. So one example was actually discovered in the late 90s by a very famous German chemist. Uh, his name is Kai-Uwe Hinrichs. Uh, would be probably nice to also invite him for a podcast and he could probably expand on it. So what he discovered was uh, the oxidation of methane by microorganism in, the, in deep ocean sediments. So in deep ocean sediments, you have a constant geologic release of methane. And that methane can precipitate as uh, methane hydrate at the seafloor due to pressure and temperature, but most of it is, would essentially also be released to the atmosphere. And methane is a way more important greenhouse gas than CO2. So if that accumulated in the atmosphere, of course, our climate change would have happened millions of years ago. However, microorganisms actually turn that methane into CO2, which is then, of course, dissolved as carbonic acid in, in seawater or also released to the atmosphere. And depending on which study or report that you use, about 40 to 70% of uh, the methane that is released at the seafloor is oxidized to CO2. And that carbon turnover actually makes life as we know it possible at the surface. And that, I think, is one of the biggest examples how the deep biosphere actually impacts our daily life and how we experience our life on Earth nowadays. Wow. So I can see you're having quite a fun doing investigations on the topic. So what fascinates you in your work 
the, the interesting part about studying the deep biosphere or studying microbes in the subsurface and, and trying to, to understand how they um, mediate carbon turnover is actually that you constantly discover new microbes. The, the deep subsurface is something that we do not have constantly access to. Like if we want to study soil, well, I can just go to my backyard and uh, scoop up a little bit of soil and then analyze it. If I would like to study an ecosystem that is like in one and a half kilometer depth, I cannot just go there and drill down there for two million uh, for two million euros, right? Because you would first need to find someone who gives you two million euros, and that's why the deep biosphere is extremely little explored. So whenever we have the chance to sample the deep biosphere or to get sample material, we always find extremely new microbes. And most of their genes actually have not been discovered before, and they also bear great potential for biotechnological use. For instance, uh, during my postdoc, one of, uh, one of my co-workers actually started to explore uh, CRISPR-Cas systems in one, of, in one of my data sets, and we found actually very, very new CRISPR-Cas systems that are way more streamlined than regular CRISPR-Cas systems and will hopefully be applied in biotechnology at a certain point. Um, another example is that some microbes actually have tiny uh, nano-grappling hooks, like the smallest hook um, that we have discovered on our planet so far. It was just a, a 20 nanometers in width, and they can actually uh, they can be used to adhere to ecosystems. And what, what we are trying to do is to cultivate those microbes in the lab to eventually make those hooks accessible for biotechnology. Because you could imagine many sorts of things that you can do with nano grappling hooks, like um, nano, create nano velcros or such sort of things. And so there is not only the drive to discover new forms of life, there's also uh, the, the great potential for biotechnological applications. Oh, wow. But um, it's true that it was believed, uh, for example, in the past that there can be no life deep down in the biosphere, in the subsurface, right? Yeah. Now you're discovering the... new life and uh, uh, it's really amazing. We wish you... Uh, very, very lucky in your further research and hopefully in some years to make another podcast and to tell us something more about what you have discovered. Thank you so much, Katarina. I really enjoyed this interview. Thank you again, Alex, and special thanks to our listeners. Hello, everybody. It's Mark Kilada here again. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and stay tuned for our next edition.